Beast mode. Beast mode. It's the state in which a human being performing something especially difficult is overcome with extreme power or extreme skill or determination. And that phrase started early with a child's cartoon called Beast Wars Transformers, (laughs) where Optimus Primal uh, (laughs) turned into a gorilla (laughs) to defeat his enemies. It's just so bad. (laughs) But the term was really popularized by an NFL running back, Marshawn Lynch, uh, where he would go into what they would say beast mode. That was his nickname because when he was running the ball, when Seattle Seahawks were struggling, they just said, let's just hand the ball off to Marshawn, and he would just plow over people. I had an image of the Dallas Cowboys. I thought that would be too sore for a lot of people here, so I just chose the Seahawks versus the the Cardinals that he's plowing over, uh, but he would just plow over people like they were nothing. They were like, there's something going on in there. Like, how is he, how is he doing it? Um, back in the day, uh, when I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of WWF wrestling, and my favorite wrestler was a character named Hulk Hogan. Uh, the, the Hulk, without a doubt, was his most famous move, it seemed, uh, was, was getting beaten up, <laughs> getting beaten to a pulp, and when you thought, there's no way he can come back from this, then you started hearing that, I am a real American, now that, that song that came on, and then he went into what I call beast mode, and something turned in him, and, and when you knew that it turned in him, his eyes got big, where you could see all around his eyes, <laughs> and he started breathing heavily, like, <sighs> and you're like, oh, you don't want to mess with the Hulk now. And so as a young, impressionable kid watching this, I thought that was the key to unlocking my inner beast mode. And so <laughs> I specifically remember going onto the, the playground at, at school and trying to go into beast mode with kids around me, going, <laughs> and he would, like, he would just like walk towards them, be like slowly, and they were like, like what do we do with this? <laughs> and so I was trying to walk after these kids, they're like, stop it. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe it doesn't work there. Maybe it work at home. I tried to do my brothers. They'll tell you it was really, really embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, is, is that the secret to unlocking that beast mode inside of you? I think sometimes when we, when we think of Jesus, maybe we think when he went into God mode or beast mode, there was something that, that, that unleashed in him, that unlocked this, this superpower in him to perform all these miracles. When he casted out demons, when he, when he raised the dead, when he's doing all these miracles, did he go into beast mode? He becomes unstoppable. Bullets seem to fly off of him. That never happened. It seems like he had Mario star power and nothing could stop him at this moment. Is Jesus God or is he man? That's the question we want to tackle today. And it's Christology and the hypostatic union is what we're talking about. Now, that may sound like the most boring thing in the world to you. Uh, And you're like, please don't do this. (laughs) But stick with me. This is immensely important. This is immensely important. Uh, We could summarize the biblical, orthodox teaching about the person of Christ in this phrase right here. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully human, in one person and will be forever. And so that's the outline of our sermon today. Fully God, fully human, 200%. Okay? That's, that's where we're going. And all the way, I want to ask the question, why does this matter? 
because this could feel like an old dusty doctrine. Why does this matter? As our, as our series is, is titled Orthodox Foundational Truths to Treasure, what about this makes us treasure Jesus? And I would argue knowing who Jesus is is critical to treasuring him. So, fully God. There's this infamous C.S. Lewis quote that I'll have up here. I know it's a little bit long, but it's just, it's wonderful. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can try to shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and call him a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What makes C.S. Lewis say this with such authority? Is it because that the Bible is just crystal clear about the Godhood of Jesus? And I would say, amen, absolutely. There's this great exchange in, in John 8 uh, where Jesus says in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and saw it and was glad. And 57, so the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. <laughs> he saw uh, 50 years old. And, and have you seen Abraham? You can hear their confusion. You're like, you're, you're barely 30 years old, taking it and like talking like you're just hanging out with Abraham. And Jesus says in 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, before Abraham existed, I am. He didn't say, you know, I, I studied Abraham, I, I've read a lot about him. No, he said, didn't even say a couple thousand years ago I knew, about, I knew Abraham. No, he said before Abraham existed, before he was, I am. And as we said two weeks ago, that phrase where Jesus says that I am, that's the eternal name for Yahweh that God gave himself. Jesus is claiming to be eternal. And if we say, that, that seems you're reading too much in the text, look at how they respond in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew what Jesus was claiming right there. They knew he was claiming to be divine and to be eternal. And so they said, this is absurd blasphemy. We've got to murder him. And so it's not the only place, though, that Jesus claims to be fully God. Uh, all the places that he, he fulfills the prophecies, all the places that he claims the, these God-like names, it's all over the Gospels. And then in Revelation 22, he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. That seems like a very explicit claim to deity. Then Jesus demonstrates his omnipotence, his, his all power, when he stills the storm at the sea, when he, when he, when he feeds with, multiplies the bread and, and multiplies the fish, when he changes water into wine. And I think the best illustration of his divine power was when he raises the dead in raising Lazarus from the dead. That feels like a very godlike attribute. 
And, and we, we get a little insight into Jesus' omniscience, his all-knowing nature um, in Mark 2.8. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? So he's, he's reading their minds and saying, you're questioning me. And so he, he, he says that about them. And so Jesus has mind-reading abilities. That seems like something humans no, don't normally do, normally. Now, now, why does this matter? There, there's, a, there's a couple things we could say, and, and as Lewis said, is, is if he isn't God, then he's either a lunatic or he's a liar, and so seeing his divinity back up his claims is important, right? We need to see that that's true, that Jesus is actually who he says he is. Another reason it's crucial for Jesus to be fully God is because only someone who is fully God could bear the full penalty for all the sins of those who would believe in him. And he has to be fully God. A, a mere human couldn't do that, couldn't bear the weight of all the sin. But by God's very nature, his, his wrath is infinite in quality. And so in order to bear the weight of that wrath, it, it is essential that the Savior be divine. But also, in order to satisfy the wrath, he had to offer such a, something so valuable that God would be pleased to accept it. And so only Christ, as God, could bring a sacrifice as infinite and eternal in value to God and pacify heaven's wrath. And so he's fully God. But Jesus is also fully human. Early on in, in, in church history, this, this was the struggle. It wasn't necessarily to believe, that, that, to argue about Jesus' full, uh, fully God. It was more about what... How do we understand this? Was he fully man? Um, but there, there's numerous examples of, this, of Jesus displaying this in the scriptures. Jesus became tired, as we do. In John 4, 6, it says, Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. Jesus got tired. He became thirsty. He was, he was on the cross, and he said, I thirst. After he fasted 40 days in the wilderness, we read that he was hungry. When Jesus was on his way to be crucified, the soldiers forced Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross because Jesus became weak after the beating that he had just taken. He didn't have strength enough to carry that wood himself. And so if you don't just believe me, look at the people around Jesus. Look at what his brothers believed about him. They're like, that's just the kid from Nazareth. Like as John 7, 5 says, even his brothers did not believe in him. And so Jesus ate, he slept, he got tired, he, got, he suffered, he cries, he gets disbelieved by families. Like, doesn't that sound like humanity? Doesn't that sound like humanity? Well, that was just earthly Jesus, you might say. Well, no, because after he's resurrected, he then comes to his disciples in Luke 24, 39, says, see my hands and my feet. He's saying, see the scars. It's physical there. It's still there. And then he's eating fish after the resurrection. And so we will definitely have filleted fish in heaven, right? These are, these are things that are very, very important to us. It matters a ton. And I think because we live in a very skeptical culture, we really want to argue about Jesus' divinity. But we just as much need to make sure we are clear that Jesus has full humanity. We absolutely need this. It's just as important because if Jesus had not been human, he could have not died in our place. 
He could have not paid the penalty that was due for us. The author of Hebrews tells us in 2.16, for surely it's not angels that he helps. I love that. He's like, he's not concerned about angels. <laughs> but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And then 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or satisfy the wrath for the sins of the people. And so the author, author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus ain't helping the angels. He became a human to help humans. He became humans to help you and me. He was made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. Did Jesus have acne growing up? In every respect. <laughs> Did he have a belly button? In every respect. Did Jesus struggle with doubt? In every respect. Did he have growing pains and hunger pains? In every respect. Was he really actually tempted? Because he's God. In every respect. He was fully human. Why? Because for, he had to be one of us to substitute for us. The reason Jesus' death satisfies the wrath of God against humanity is because Jesus is humanity. Earlier in our passage, in verse 10, it's, it says, For it was fitting that he for whom, by whom all things exist, bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And that word founder is just such a beautiful word. That word founder could be translated champion or deliverer. The, the, the champion of their salvation. And sometimes when we think of champion, we like to think of, you know, as we're watching the Olympics, someone is the champion, they get the gold medal, right? someone who's made the winner is what we think of when we think of champion. Um, but, but older definitions of champion really were someone who does battle on behalf of someone else. And so you, would, you, you represent someone else. You would send out a hero to be your champion to, to fight someone else's champion. And so instead of having these wars between thousands and hundreds of armies uh, and saying, let's not waste all of our people, let's say, let's take this, this champion versus this champion, and whoever wins, wins this war. And that's what you have with David versus Goliath. Which champion is going to win and represent their people? Right? Jesus is the champion, the founder, our champion who represents humanity for us. He goes before us to fight this war. He lives for us. He dies for us. He pays the penalty that we should have paid. But he, also his resurrection is ours. When he rises, we rise too. And so we like to think like Jesus represents God to us, but that's not, that's not it at all. Jesus is God, and he represents us to God. That makes sense? Jesus doesn't represent God to us. Jesus is God who represents us. And I think that's just so crucial to our salvation. Jesus as champion is almost all that we should and could talk about at, at this time. Like that, that, that is a whole sermon in its own, that Jesus is our champion. It, basically, let's say it's because of him, we win. He wins, we win. And he won. And there's, this is the good news of the gospel, that he won. And we are living in that victory now. We could stop there and say, Whew, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That is good, good news. But I want to say this morning, there's so many other facets of Christology, and that's what we're trying to get a little bit bigger view here, that that is huge, but that's not all of it. Being saved is wonderful, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, but it's not everything. 
Sounds like we're venturing into scary territory here, right? Another reason Jesus' humanity is so important is because Jesus is one of us. He's able to sympathize with us. He's not just our champion who won things for us. He's able to sympathize with us as like a counselor or a good friend. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If Jesus had not been human, he would not be able to know what we're going through in our temptations and struggles. If he wasn't human, he could say, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. And you go, but not really. I mean, do you ever have someone who acts like they know what you're going through? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds tough. Uh, And you're like, you don't really get it. And it's almost infuriating when they try to act like they know what you're going through. And you want to push them away. But that's not Jesus. <laughs> that's not Jesus at all because he, he did go through what we went through. And so what's the flip side of that is how wonderful is it when you find someone who has gone through what you've gone through. Someone who's been there and you're like, you understand me. You get me. You know how hard it is. You've lived it. I want to tell you everything. And you just want to come and bear your soul to them. That's what we get to do with Jesus. We get to come to him and bear our soul to him. He's been there. It's just totally freeing. And so he's fully God, fully human, and then our last point is 200%. Now, what we've been talking about this whole sermon is this great theological term, the hypostatic union, uh, and it's this term to try to describe God and and, and man in two distinct natures, but unified and coupled in one person uh, forever. But our dilemma is... How is Jesus fully God and fully man, human, 200%? How is he both? Because 200% isn't a thing, by the way. <laughs> like, it's one of my pet peeves. Someone says, like, oh, I gave it my all. I gave it 110%. And you're like, well, you, you can't actually give 110%. That's, that's not possible. Uh, there's this great movie, Spinal Tap. Um, the, the, the guitarist explains how he turns his amp up to 11. <laughs> and, and it, rather than the traditional 10, and the interviewer is like, but isn't that just basically make that number now like the 10? That's, that's all the way? And he's like, yeah, but this one goes to 11. <laughs> You're like, uh, you, you don't get it. Like, it's, just, it's, it's lunacy. And this is what we're wading into. This is what we're wading into. Is Jesus part God, part man? Is it 50% God, 50% man? And you're like, oh, that sounds bad. Let's make it like 90% God and only 10% man. That seems better. Is that what we're trying to say here? Or is Jesus most of the time God until um, he wants to become human? Or is it vice versa? Um, maybe, maybe he's got multiple personality disorder where he doesn't know who he is at this time. And then maybe God takes over. Maybe this is the beast mode that happens. That just, it just takes over him. And he blacks out and he wakes up in a ditch somewhere. Like, oh gosh, that's about, okay, that, that was close to heresy. I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> There's so much heresy. By the way, these are actually thought through heresies. We're not going to give you the terms for all of these. But these are things that, that, that people have tried to understand what this was. It is, what are we doing with Jesus? Is, is Jesus' body just a case that the divine lived in? Is he like the Kool-Aid man? <laughs> with the glass, this is someone t- told me this illustration, so I'm using it. <laughs> the glass as like the human and, and, and the Kool-Aid as, as the God. Is, so which one? 
Is that it? I don't think so. Maybe you're an artist and you're thinking, well, it's like, it's like, it's like paint that you mix. You get you got the red paint with the yellow paint. You mix them and then you have the green paint. And so it's like a whole new person and we've now mixed Jesus and he's altogether different. Nope. These are all heresies, by the way. These are all the bad things. We're getting them all out of the way. Maybe it's like the airplane mode on your phone where it's like, all right, let me turn off my, my connection to, to heaven and things like that. No, it's not that either. What is it? <laughs> this is why it's hard. The Chalcedonian definition that we confessed earlier, uh, it goes on. It says that the two natures of God are human without confusion. It's not a mix. Without change. In assuming human flesh, the logos or the word or Jesus did not cease to be what he had always been. Without division, the two natures of Christ do not represent a split in the divine person. Jesus Christ is not half God or half man without separation. The union of the human and the divine in the person of Jesus Christ is real, organic union. Now, we don't have time to just go through all of his different heresies, um, except I just want to say this. If, if you take away his deity, you lose. If you take away his humanity, you lose. We lose something when we do that. We lose something to treasure about God. But here's the rub. It's just, how is it possible that God, all-powerful, could be weak? Like, how is it that Jesus, in Luke 2, 52, was able to increase in wisdom? How is he able to grow in knowledge when he's God? Doesn't he know everything? Didn't we already see that Jesus is able to read minds? Mark 13, 32, Jesus says, concerning that day or that hour when he's coming back, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And you're like, what? <laughs> How do you not know when you're coming back? Isn't this your divine rescue plan? How does Jesus not know when he's coming back? And you're just like, what's happening? This is the hypostatic union. This is the, 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 <laughs> the brain-bending doctrine of the hypostatic union, and it's glorious. <laughs> The North African theologian Augustine said, Jesus did not lose anything, rather he added humanity to his divinity. Or as Shai Lin said, becoming what he wasn't while never ceasing to be what he was. I love that. <laughs> and so the orthodox view is that Jesus did not lose one ounce of his godness, he just added on humanity. He's both infinite and finite, both divine and human. He can be said to not know things because he's genuinely human and finite. And so God, God has made our human hearts to need that, to need him to be finite. But at the same time, he's made our human hearts to, to need more than that. Like we will never be content with just that which is human. We will never be content with someone who just sympathizes with us, who just says, ah, oh, that's tough. We want someone to do something about it. We want someone to breathe life into us. We need more than that. We need to come alive. And so the finite can't satiate our thirst for the infinite. And yet we need Jesus to be human to be able to relate to us. And so as paradoxical as this sounds, the scriptures plainly affirm both, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And so he can know everything, uphold the world in the palm of his hands. He can uphold reality itself. And yet when he was born and he was a baby, he needed someone to put him to bed at night. We don't know how it works, but we affirm it, the mystery right there. And so this is that, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that I can't even, I can't even understand how this works. This is the divine incomprehensibility coming out. And this is one of the greatest mysteries in all of, all of the world, is how we have both God and man all together.
And some of you might be saying right now, who cares? <laughs> I don't need to know how it works. <laughs> just, I just need to know that it does work. Well, let me respectfully just say five times in 17 years. Five times in 17 years. There was a man whose enemies gave him the nickname the Black Dwarf. The short Egyptian bishop Athanasius was exiled five times by four Roman emperors in spending 17 years in exile. Why? Over this very doctrine. Over this right here. Really over one letter. Homoousius means of same substance. Homoousius means of like substance. So homoousius, same essence. Homoousius means like it. And as you can see, there is one iota, or the letter I, of difference. Between these two words, they are just worlds apart. Between these two worlds, you get a very different understanding of God. And so it's like, which one do you pick? Which button do you choose, homoousius or homoousius? You feel like, like, do I cut the blue wire or do I cut the red wire? Like, does Jesus, God, speak to you? Or does he just tell you about God? That, that, that one letter changes everything. If Jesus doesn't share the exact same essence, then he can't come. He can't tell us actually about God. He can't actually represent God to us. He can't communicate the Father. If he's like God, he communicates something about God, but not, not fully. It, he just reveals parts of God. And you start wondering, well, what part is he leaving out? What is he leaving away from us? And so it's like if I served you Diet Coke and you said, this is terrible, uh, but if I served you Diet Coke and said, this is Coke, you go, mm, <laughs> I don't know, I've had Coke before. <laughs> but I would say, well, it's carbonated, it's brown, it has some similar qualities in it, it's like Coke, and you'd say, I'm missing out, there's something very different here. Would you get that full experience? Absolutely not. We need Jesus to be fully God to know, for us to actually know God. And one of the most beautiful things that we can know about God through the person of Jesus is how deeply he loves you. That's what we can know about God is how deeply he loves you. I mean, think about what Jesus did. Jesus, as God, did for you and me. He decides not to give up his divinity but to add on humanity forever. <laughs> Forever he's human. With this one decision, he, he identifies with us forever. I mean, <laughs> he identifies with us even when it's inconvenient. He identifies with us even when it's painful, even when we're obnoxious, even when he knows it's going to cost him his life, he says, I'm going to identify with you. I mean, we live in a whole culture that doesn't, doesn't really want to get involved. Like, that's, that, that's just, if you commit yourself to one place, to one people, you, you, there's like that fear, that FOMO of missing out. Of, like maybe you're missing out on something better. And so it's really hard to really commit yourself to something like that, to identify. Because if we commit to people or groups, those groups could hurt you. They could embarrass you. If you get involved, you could get hurt. And getting involved makes you vulnerable. There's this, there's this famous true story of the murder of this woman, Kitty Genevieve, 
in Manhattan in 1964. It's this famous story of, of this murder of this woman, and this, this mugger comes up and stabs her in, in the middle of all these apartments. And in that moment, she yells, oh my God, he stabbed me. And people come out of their apartments to see what is happening. And lights come on, people look out, and the mugger backs away. And they look out and see her, but no one came to help her. No one comes out to help her. They look out, and they turn their lights off, and they go back inside. The mugger comes back, finishes her off for $49 from her purse. And when they interviewed the people later, one of the famous responses from one of the witnesses is said, I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to get involved because if I get involved, who knows what might happen to me? Nobody wants to put themselves in harm's way. When you get involved, you could get hurt. And when the assailant knew that, he said, I got free reign. She's helpless. Nobody wants to get themselves hurt at risk to themselves to help her. But Jesus, when he saw our condition, when he saw our state, he said, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to step in. I'm going to help. Like, even though it means that at moments he's going to become now dependent on others, for the divine to become dependent on others. Think how crazy that is. I mean, the depths of God's love for you and me, that, that for these brothers and sisters, that I'm going to, I'm going to become a baby I'm going to suffer all the pains of this life. I'm going to let people whip me. I'm going to people make fun of me and mock me when I'm taking this on forever. I'm going to get involved with you. I mean, that's just like the fierce love like of a, a mama bear protecting her cubs. You see like the, what this communicates about God to us. God's deep, deep love for you. I mean, do you know this love? I, I pray you get to know this love. I pray you get to know this love. Do you know that God man? If you don't, I want to talk to you after service. We want to, we want to pray with you. We, we, I'll put all the cards on the table. We hope you convert. <laughs> we hope you believe. We want that for you. We want you to know that deep, deep love. This is what we call Christology. It's the study of Jesus Christ. It teaches us that he's both, he's both the exemplar and he's the example. He, he, is, he, he is the better Adam, what Adam should have been for us. He lived the perfect life. He identifies with us. He's our champion who fights for us. But he's also an example to follow. Yes, he's our champion. He's won the fight. He invites us to follow him, though. And this is the orthodoxy, right thinking. That means that we believe that also moves us into orthopraxy, right practices. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So what are we to follow? We can't be God. We can't do all of these things. Like we can't, we, we know we can't. We know we can't be what he is. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And so wherever you're at, let me just say this Sunday, get involved. Step in and show up for someone show up. Some of us may feel so isolated and lonely and, 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 and defenseless. Step in and commit to those friends. Seek out the one person you think that no one's thinking about and invest in them. And I just say, get involved. 
Secondly, Jesus was fully human, so why do we think we can't be? Too many times we like to act like God. Like we like to think, I'm invincible. I can take anything on. I can, I can work myself to death. I'm invulnerable. I'm invincible. I don't need rest. And we, when we crash and burn, we start thinking, I should have listened to those people who said, slow down. You're not invincible. I should have listened to those. If Jesus hungered and thirsted and got tired and suffered, you know, maybe we should expect we will too. And so where are you acting like you don't need God? Beast mode is a myth. <laughs> we don't get to go into that. The human condition is full dependence on God. And so this morning, hit the pause button, turn outward, call on the name of the Lord, take it all to Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, 200%. Let's pray.